And now this from Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, little flock. That's how Jesus starts this passage we're reading today. It's actually a part of a longer set of sayings of Jesus. Scholars debate how many times you can find this same phrase in Scripture or this same idea. If you look just for do not be afraid, you get a certain number. If you add fear not, you add a few more. If you add passages like take courage, you have even more. Some scholars say 365 different times you can find this admonition. This admonition is offered to you in Scripture. Jesus affirms and teaches again and reminds the people who will listen, do not be afraid. And yet we are afraid. We hear from people every week that are struggling with fear. They've just had a bad health diagnosis and they are afraid. Someone they dearly love is dying and they are afraid. They've run into a financial crisis and they are not sure if they can make it through and fear is beginning to consume them or sometimes a whole combination of these kinds of things come together and they're overwhelmed with fear and looking for help and hope that they might be able to move on, that there might be a way to move through such fear. But all of us could think of times when we have been afraid, could we not? There's a major study being done every year now by one of the universities, Chapman University here in the United States. They came up with a list of 88 different reasons we might be afraid and then surveyed thousands of people asking them all these questions. Which one are they most afraid of? I thought for sure number one in this time and this day and age would be terrorist attacks. But it was not number one. I was surprised by what they said. By a fairly large majority was the number one answer. Americans were most afraid of corruption by government officials. 
Not sure what that means, but that was our number one fear. Number two was cyber terrorism. Number three was people were afraid that corporations were collecting and tracking our personal information and would use it in ways that we did not give them permission to do. And then number four was a direct terrorist attack in terms of the list of things people said they were afraid of. What are you most afraid of in your life? It might be one of these. But you might be struggling with your own health diagnosis. Or maybe you're struggling with someone close to you who is dying. Or maybe the financial times have turned against you or maybe something with one of your children or grandchildren or some other experience you're having is allowing fear to grip your heart and soul so many things in our lives can fuel fear and we can end up being overcome by fear and rather than living by faith but jesus has more to say here than just do not be afraid. This is not just an idea that we should look in the mirror and talk to ourselves and kind of buck up. There's more here. Listen again to that first verse we read, verse 32. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus is suggesting we count on God. When we encounter fear that we look to God because God is our Father and wants to give us what we need for an abundant life. Jesus is saying God is offering us everything we need to live a life of fullness in line with the divine will. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is not something we create it is something we receive. It sounds a lot like the gift of salvation that is offered to us from God through Jesus Christ. We read about it in the baptismal liturgy that it is a gift offered to us without price. But we have to make a choice whether or not we're going to receive it or reject it. We have to make a choice whether or not we're going to follow the way of Christ and strive to live in line with God's will or if we're going to go our own way. But Jesus says it is a gift. It is a blessing. It is an unfailing treasure that we are offered from the hand of God. Jesus is offering us a new way of life, a life of trusting God as the ultimate arena of security. One of the biblical commentators I read this week wrote about this in a beautiful way, I thought. I want to read you a few sentences from her writing. She says, In the normal anxiety that attends finite and fragile human existence, it is natural to seek to secure ourselves. And idolatry arises in that self-seeking and self-securing activity. We invest ourselves in intermediate goods, for example, things like national security or personal well-being, but are disappointed 
Because these things inevitably fail us. Whenever we take something out of its rightful place in our lives and raise it to the status of the ultimate, we break the harmony of life. Whatever mundane good we make ultimate is thereby overburdened and destroyed in our very act of raising it to ultimacy. It cannot fulfill a God-shaped job description and loses its quality as a gift of grace when it becomes the central focus of our lives. Only God is ultimate. Only God can secure us and secure us finally against the need to be secured. God is our source and our end, the ground of our being and our heart's true home. I thought she described it so beautifully. It mirrored my own experience. I can think of all the ways I try to secure myself from my home alarm system to a different job to more money, a newer car, any number of things that we begin to put value on to secure ourselves that are outside of God. When we give little thought to our relationship with God, She says whenever we try to elevate one of those things, we're going to be disappointed in terms of our experience. Jesus reminds us over and over in the Gospels that our true and deepest need is to connect with God, to trust in God. That is the place of our ultimate security. But then Jesus goes on in this passage and says something that's very counterintuitive, I think. If you have your Bible there, look with me to verse 37. Jesus says, Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt, that is, pull up his robe and get ready for service, and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. Now that's backwards. Did you hear what he said? He said the master's going to come, and if we're watching, we will see that the master is going to have the slaves sit down at the banquet, and he's going to serve them. Masters don't serve slaves, do they? Slaves serve masters. That's the order of things. But Jesus is saying just the opposite. That in the kingdom of God, the master is going to serve the slaves. Does that make sense to you? Is that the way you thought it was going to work out? That's what Jesus says. He says, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and the master is going to serve the slaves. Can you believe that God wants to serve you? It is the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. 
that God's love is breaking into our world and turning things upside down, and that this God has sent us this love and this revelation through Jesus Christ. It made me think of all the many times Jesus says things like this in the gospel. I thought of the verse out of John where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I thought of the time he was talking about the Sabbath. He broke the Sabbath rules a few times. And he says, but you know what? The Sabbath wasn't created for us to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to serve us, to support us, to be a gift to us. I thought of the time where he said, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus says it very clearly, but sometimes it's still hard to hear. The Master is coming to serve us. Are you ready to receive a God who wants to serve you? It points to the importance of our own personal spiritual grounding and where the focus is placed in our own lives. As you read through the Gospels, you can see Jesus time and again drawing a contrast between focusing on the physical, tangible things of life as the way to abundance or focusing on the spiritual things first as a path to leading to abundant life. I think we can see this all unfolding if we go back a few verses. We began reading in verse 32, but Jesus begins this speech, as Luke tells it, much earlier in the 12th chapter. I'm going to flip back to verse 22 read you a few of the things Jesus says. He's speaking to his disciples here and says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And then he talks about common plants and animals and says, God provides for those. Do you think God cannot provide for you as well? And then in verse 29, he continues, and do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Instead, strive for God's kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. It's a different way to approach life that Jesus is offering us here. Then he continues where we began today. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Can you trust that God is offering you all that you need? That God will provide everything that you need for life abundant and life eternal? He goes on, sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Jesus is suggesting we think about what's most important. To reflect upon where we focus and what we're grasping for most in life. He goes on in verse 35, be dressed for action. Now, when I first read through this, I thought he was shifting focus. But after I read through it a few more times, I realized he's not talking about physical action or social action. When he says, be dressed for action, Jesus is talking about spiritual action, being ready for God. Hear this, be dressed for action and have your lamps lit Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. I think we can summarize this teaching of Jesus and it encapsulates the gospel. Strive first for the kingdom. Be ready to receive the kingdom. Be ready to receive the master. Allow, even expect, God to serve you. Are you watching for where God is coming to you? Are you ready and waiting for God to move in your life? Is that your focus? Are you more focused on the spiritual or on the physical are you expecting that you have to create and make all of this happen or can you trust that god is at work in your life and offering you good gifts reminded me of a story of some college students they were fired up about their faith they were christians and they wanted to show it they decided it would be a good idea for them to have a bible study in their dorm So they got organized and reserved a room. They made posters. They put them up all over campus. They went to the room at the appointed time, so excited about everybody who would come. Nobody came. Only the leaders were there. They tried for several weeks meeting, and nobody came. So they took a break, waited a few weeks, made some more posters, put them up, tried again, went to the room, nobody came every few weeks they tried it again for a whole year and nobody came to the bible study they were devastated and so disappointed they went to their pastor told him what had happened he said i have an idea for you this week when you're going to class going to the gym having social time, watch and listen for people who are asking spiritual questions. And when you hear somebody who wants to talk about that, stop what you're talking about and listen and talk with them about spiritual things. They said, okay, they went back to campus. They met again on Wednesday night. One girl came in so excited. She said, pastor, you're never going to believe what has happened. In one of my classes this week, another student came over to me and said, I think you might be a Christian. Is that right? And the young lady said, yes, I am. And she said, well, you know, there's a whole group of us on my dorm floor who are trying to read the Bible together. 
but none of us have a Christian background and we can't make a sense of it. We thought maybe you would know somebody interested in leading a Bible study. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. Thanks be to God.